This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Our scripture today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. O God, whose word is like water to the root of the tree, let your word now flow into us that we might flourish bearing gospel fruit for a hungry world. In the name of Jesus, the living word, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't have a sermon for you today, but I'm very excited to introduce a guest preacher, someone that I've been getting to know over the last year or so and has been a huge blessing in my life. Now, he's not Georgian, but he was born in this region and came back after graduating from university, and he lives and ministers in quite an economically deprived area where his church is highly regarded for its care for the poor and the sick and, um, you know, those who are in difficulty. He's doing all this mind, um, you know, with difficult relationships with the government, trying to navigate that and courageously preach and minister the gospel. If that's not enough... Our preacher today is someone who is a highly regarded theologian, respected equally in Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, and Pentecostal circles, which is quite the feat. Not only that, the material this man has written for worship is used in many languages in hundreds of thousands of churches around the world, and we're deeply privileged to hear from him today. Now, we do have a bit of a glitch because uh, there's two problems, really. Our brother does not speak a word of English. In fact, the only way he could get all this stuff done, of course, he's never used a smartphone, does not have, he's not on social media, doesn't even use the internet, uh, which frees him up to do all these things. Does not speak a word of English, which is one challenge. The other problem is that he's been dead for about 1,600 years. And due to those technical difficulties, I am going to be his mouthpiece this afternoon. I'm talking about St. Basil the Great, who lived and ministered in the mid to late 300s. And this was a guy who's uh, one of the liturgy he wrote is one of the two main liturgies used by Eastern Orthodox churches around the world. And we think Blessed Be Your Name is a classic song. The stuff this guy wrote is still being used over 1,600 years later as people worship Jesus. He was a mighty defender of Trinitarian doctrine and particularly 
uh, defending the divinity of the Holy Spirit equally to be worshipped and adored as God along with the Father and the Son. But what he really brings to us today is a deep heart for the poor. Basil the Great came from a very wealthy family and gave up most of his family's wealth in order to care for the needy in his city of Caesarea in Cappadocia, which is, uh, would be in what is now modern central Turkey. Amazingly, he also is basically the founder of the modern hospital because he built what was called the new city on the outskirts of Caesarea, basically a gigantic gigantic fortress which had professional doctors and nurses and had inpatient care, and it was free for everyone, whether you were completely poor and destitute, whether you were a a leper physically handicapped, whether you were from a completely different part of the empire. He was inviting everyone to come and just be cared for and just be blessed. And in fact, the Roman emperor, Julian the Apostate, around this very time, complained bitterly that the Christians were not only caring for their own people, they were embarrassing the pagans by caring for our own people as well. Imagine that, Christians doing such an amazing job of caring for the poor and the sick that the government is actually complaining that no one is using their social services. And actually, one of the reasons for the incredible success of the early church, going from a small group of Galilean disciples to taking over the Roman Empire, was due not only to their faithfulness in preaching the gospel and telling people the good news about Jesus, but they were also practically caring for people with their hands, sacrificing their treasure and their very lives to care for those who were needy. Imagine, for example, you are a victim of the plague, Everyone in the city has abandoned you. No one's coming up to your tenement slum to take care of you. And the Christians are the ones knocking on your door, tending to you at the risk of being infected themselves. Imagine you are a baby girl and your parents have literally dumped you on the garbage heap outside of town because they don't think that you're worth anything. And the Christians are the ones who come and rescue you and raise you up. And it was, it was because Christianity was good news for the poor, for women, for slaves, for the downtrodden, that it swept like wildfire through the, Roman, through the Roman Empire. I want to share with you a message today by Basil called, I Will Tear Down My Barns. It's a pretty spicy message. You may regret sitting in the front row. It's deeply convicting as this brother is preaching to and challenging the rich people who are beginning to come into the church as Christianity is moving from being a small, despised, persecuted sect to now becoming socially acceptable uh, and even advantageous to be a part of. And he is challenging them just like Jesus did. I've taken the sermon from this book, this collection of sermons. We sell it downstairs at the book table. There's one copy. If you bolt out the door right now, you might be able to snag it, called On Social Justice. I kind of bought this book originally to yank the chains of a few people here. On Social Justice, the church has been caring about these things for a long time. And it's a wonderful translation by Paul Schroeder, but I've taken the liberty of kind of smoothing out his language and cutting it down and um, kind of making it a little easier for us to listen to today. So let us attend to the words of St. Basil. Temptations come in two forms. Sometimes it's affliction that really proves the heart like gold in a furnace, Testing our purity by means of suffering. 
But for many, it's not suffering, but prosperity of life that forms the greatest trial. And there are many examples of the temptations that come from the good life, including the story of the rich man who was just read for us. Not only was this guy already rich, he was craving even more possessions. But God, who loves humanity so much, did not immediately judge him for his ingratitude. Instead, God added even more wealth to what this man already had, thus inviting him to cultivate a more sociable and generous spirit. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. Now we might ask ourselves, Why did God cause the land to produce so much when its owner had absolutely no intention of benefiting anyone else with its bounty? Here's why. To show God's patience. Because God's goodness extends to everybody, even people like this guy. For he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous and makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. Think about it. God sent showers upon the fields that had been worked by this man's greedy hands. He caused the sun to gently warm the seeds that were in the ground and multiply their produce. And actually, everything necessary for cultivation comes from God, doesn't it? Fertile soil, mild weather, plenty of seeds, cooperation of the animals. But human beings respond with a bitter disposition, hatred of others, and an unwillingness to share. That's what this man offered back to the God who had blessed him so much. He didn't remember that he actually shared a common nature with others, nor did it even occur to him that he ought to share from his surplus to those in need. This guy didn't keep a single word of God's commandments. Do not neglect to do good and to share. Do not let mercy and kindness forsake you and share your bread with the hungry. He ignored the urgings of all the prophets and teachers. The miser's barns were bursting with his goods, but his heart was still not satisfied. His constant accumulation of riches actually created a difficult problem for him. His greed meant that he could never be satisfied with what he already had, but neither could he store his new harvest because of its enormous size. And so he was at a loss how to proceed. What should I do, he wondered. What should I do? Now, my friends, who of us would not feel pity for someone so besieged with anxiety? This poor fellow is actually made wretched by the good things that he possesses and still more wretched by the good things that he expects to receive. He laments like those who are afflicted with poverty. This poor fellow is really suffering. His heart is eaten away with cares. You know, things that would cause ordinary people to rejoice causes the greedy person to waste away. Instead of celebrating all the good things that he's received from God, his heart is anxious about all the wealth that's slipping through his fingers. He's afraid that even a few grains are going to overflow his storehouses and be consumed by hungry people outside his walls. 
You know, this man reminds me of the glutton who would rather burst from overeating than share their meal with those in need. Oh, mortal, recognize your benefactor. Think of what resources have been entrusted to you. Think about who you've received them from and why God has given you more than others. Each of us has been made a minister of God's goodness, a steward of your fellow servants. Do not suppose that all of this was furnished for your own gullet. Resolve to treat the things in your possession as belonging to others. After all, in time, God is going to demand a strict accounting of everything that he has entrusted to you. But you, you keep everything locked up and safely secured with doors and bars. You lie awake at night thinking to yourself, what shall I do? How easily you might have said, I will satisfy the souls of the hungry. I will throw open the gates of my barns and summon all those in need. I will cry like Joseph with generous voice. Come to me, all you who lack bread. Let everyone share in God's gifts. But you're not that kind of person. How do I know this? You begrudge your fellow human beings what you yourself enjoy. And instead of considering how you might share from your surplus with the needy, you scheme about how you can rob others of their blessings. Those who seek the soul were at hand. And this man was talking to himself about food. That very night, his soul would be required of him. And all the while, he's imagining to himself how he's going to enjoy his possessions for years to come. You know, God let him make all these decisions and reveal his heart so that he might receive the sentence that he deserved. Don't suffer the same judgment yourselves. These things were written to warn us from a similar fate. Imitate the earth, O mortal. Bear fruit as it does. Don't show yourself inferior to dead soil. After all, the earth doesn't bring forth fruit for its own enjoyment, but for everyone's benefit. And then again, when you think about it, all the fruit of your good works that you produce Actually, you're kind of producing them for yourself, since the grace of good works actually redounds to those who perform them. You gave to the poor, and in doing so, you received back even more. For just as seed brings forth an increase for the one who scatters it on the ground, bread cast to the hungry yields considerable profit at a later time. Therefore, therefore, let the end of your harvesting be the beginning of your heavenly sowing. As the scripture says, sow for yourself righteousness. Why then do you go to so much trouble? Why do you wear yourself out seeking to secure your wealth with bricks and mortar? After all, according to Proverbs, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Whether you want to or not, you are going to leave every penny of your wealth to those who come after you. But the honor of good works is going to escort you to the master. All the people will surround you when you stand before the judge, calling you father and benefactor and philanthropist. Are you faint-hearted in your generosity when you are about to attain such great glory? 
God will receive you. Angels will extol you. All people from the creation of the world will bless you. Your glory will be eternal. Your crown, you're going to inherit the crown of righteousness and the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be your reward for your stewardship of perishable things. But you do not even consider them, forgetting about things hoped for in your concern for the things that are present. Distribute your wealth lavishly, becoming honorable and glorious in your gifts to the needy. And let the words of Psalm 112 be said about you. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. You care about money, but not about your own brothers and sisters. Yes, while the glitter of gold so allures you, you fail to notice how great are the groans of the needy who follow you wherever you go. How can I bring the sufferings of the poor to your attention? When you look around inside their hovels, their shanties, their slums, they don't see any gold among their things. And they never will. If you would add up all their clothing, all their meager furnishings, they'd hardly be worth pennies. And then you know what happens? They begin to stare at their own children, thinking that perhaps by bringing them to the slave market, they might find some reprieve from death. Imagine the violent struggle going on between the desperation of famine and a parent's basic instincts. Time and again, they waver, but in the end, they succumb, driven by want and cruel necessity. And while these parents come with tears streaming down their faces to sell the dearest of their children, you are not swayed by their sufferings. While famine oppresses these wretches, you ham and haw, faking ignorance of their plight and thus prolonging the agony. They come offering their very heart in exchange for food. And yet, not only is your hand not stricken with paralysis for taking profits from such misfortune, you haggle for even more. You barter to extract as much as you can and give as little in return, increasing the tragedy on every side for these wretches. Tears do not move you, groans do not soften your heart, but you remain hard and adamant and unbending. In everything, you see gold. You imagine everything as gold. It is your dream when you sleep and your first thought when you wake up. Like an insane person who sees hallucinations, your soul, seized with greed, imagines everything as gold or silver. You would rather see gold than the sun itself. You wish that everything could be transformed and become gold. And for your part, you intend to turn as many things into gold as you can. To what lengths won't you go for gold? Your grain becomes gold for you. Your wine solidifies into gold. Your wool is converted into gold. Every exchange, every thought produces gold for you. And gold itself produces even more gold, multiplying itself through loans at interest. There's no satisfying the craving, no limit to the desire that is to be found. You know, parents often permit greedy children to kind of gorge themselves on treats so that their upset tummy will teach them a very memorable lesson about moderation. Greedy people are not like this, though. 
The more they consume, the more they stuff themselves, the more they desire. If riches flow in, Psalm 62 says, do not set your heart on them. But you block the flow and stop up the outlets. And when riches are closed up like this so that they become stagnant, what do they do for you? Once wealth has been dammed up until it becomes a flood, it washes away all its embankments, it destroys the storehouses of the rich man, and tears down his treasuries, charging like some kind of enemy warrior. But will this man even have time to build larger storehouses? It seems quite doubtful that he's going to leave anything but ruins to his successors. For his departure from life came far sooner than his greedy plan to build new storehouses could be accomplished. Well, let him meet the fate that his evil heart deserves. But you, if you listen to me, you will fling open your vaults and let your wealth gush forth. Just like a great river by a thousand channels through fertile country, so let your wealth run through many conduits to the homes of the poor. Wells become more productive if they're drained completely from time to time rather than being left to silt up standing. In the same way, wealth, if it's just collected and left there, is no use to anyone. But put to use and exchanged, it becomes fruitful and beneficial for the whole community. Let the example of this rich man accompany you everywhere. By hoarding what he already had, while at the same time straining to gain even more, he committed tomorrow's sins today. No beggar had even approached yet, yet he showed his cruelty in advance. He'd not even gathered his harvest, yet he was already guilty of greed. The earth was welcoming to all in its richness. It germinated the crops deep in the furrows. It produced large clusters of grapes on the vine. It made the olive tree bend under a vast quantity of fruit. But the rich man himself was unwelcoming and unfruitful, closed and hard. He didn't even possess as yet, and already he begrudged the needy. Besides, how many perils are there before the the ingathering of the harvest? Hail might come and flatten the crops. The sun might blaze and scorch everything. Unseasonable rain might fall and ruin them as it pours down from the clouds. Yet, you don't even pray to God to complete the good work. Rather, your presumption makes you unworthy of receiving what has only begun to sprout. But what sort of things do you say to yourself? Soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry day after day. Oh, what senselessness. This is a future fit only for a pig. Are you really so animal-like that you only feed your soul things that end up in the toilet? If your soul possesses virtue and dwells near to God, then indeed it has many good things. And you should rejoice with the soul's own pure joy. But because you have made your belly into your God, hear the fitting description that is given to you by the Lord himself. You fool. 
This very night, your, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Worse, even than eternal punishment, is scorn, the scorn on behalf of your folly. In moments, moments, the rich man's life will be snatched away. And what is he thinking? I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. Well, well done, I would say for my part. The treasuries of injustice well deserve to be torn down. With your own hands, raise these misbegotten structures. Destroy the granaries from which no one has ever gone away satisfied. Demolish every storehouse of greed. Pull down the roofs. Tear away the walls. Expose the moldering grain to the sunlight. Lead forth from prison the fettered wealth. Vanquish the gloomy vaults of mammon. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. But if you fill up those larger ones, what do you intend to do next? Will you tear them down only to build them up once more? What could be more ridiculous than this incessant toil, laboring to build and then to tear down again? If you want storehouses, you have them in the stomachs of the poor. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The things deposited there are not devoured by moths, nor are they spoiled by corruption, nor do thieves break in and steal them. But you reply, I will give to the needy when I have my second set of barns. You are so sure that the years of your life will be many. Beware, lest death the pursuer catch you sooner than you expect. And even your promises to help the poor really reveal your evil intent. You're promising not so that you might give in the future, but rather so that you might evade responsibility in the present. At this very moment, what prevents you from giving? Are not the needy near at hand? Are not your barns already full? Is not your heavenly reward waiting? Is not the commandment crystal clear? The hungry are perishing. The naked are freezing to death. The debtors are unable to breathe. And will you put off showing mercy until tomorrow? Listen to Solomon. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. Come again tomorrow, I will give it. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. How many precepts you ignore because your ears are plugged with covetousness. How much gratitude you ought to have shown your benefactor. How joyful and radiant you should have been that you are not one of those who crowd in at others' doors, but people are coming to your door to receive from you. But now you, you lower your eyes and you quicken your step, muttering hasty responses, lest anyone pry some small coin from your grasp. You know how to say only one thing. Ah, I do not have, I cannot give, I myself am poor. You are poor indeed and bereft of all goodness, poor in love, poor in kindness, poor in faith toward God, poor in eternal hope. Make your brothers and sisters sharers of your grain. Give to the needy today what rots away tomorrow. Truly, this is the worst kind of covetousness, not even to share perishable goods with those in need. Wait a second. Wait a second, you object. How am I being unjust if I keep what belongs to me? Tell me something. What is your own? What does belong to you? What did you bring into this life? Where did you get it from? 
It's like someone grabbing the first seat in the theater, and then they lock and bolt the doors to prevent anyone else from entering. That's what the rich are like. Having seized for themselves what really belongs to all in common, they claim it as their own on the basis of having got there first. Whereas if everyone just took what they needed for their immediate requirements and released the surplus for those in need, you know what? We wouldn't have any rich or any poor. Did you not come naked from the womb? And will you not go back naked into the earth? So where did the wealth you enjoy now come from? If you say, from nowhere or by chance, you deny God. You ignore your creator. You're ungrateful to the giver. And if you do say, from God, well, then you should ask yourself why it was given to you. But you, stuffing everything into the bottomless pockets of your greed, you assume that you wrong no one. Yet how many do you, in fact, dispossess? Who are the greedy? Those who are not satisfied with what is enough for their own needs. Who are the robbers? Those who take for themselves what belongs to everyone. And you, are you not greedy? Are you not a robber? The things you received in trust as a stewardship... Have you not appropriated them for yourself? Is not the person who strips another of clothing called a thief? And those who do not clothe the naked when they have the power to do so, shouldn't they be called the same? The bread in your pantry belongs to the hungry. The coat in your closet belongs to the naked. The shoes that you're allowing to rot belong to those who are barefoot. And the money you keep buried underground deep in the earth belongs to the destitute. You are thus guilty of injustice toward anyone you could have helped but never did. Brothers and sisters, how delightful would it be to hear these words on the day of judgment? Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. But how great will be the trembling, the sweat, and the darkness that surrounds you when you hear this sentence. Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You never gave me a drink. I was naked, and you did not give me clothing. I've spoken words that I thought would be profitable for you. For you who are persuaded, the promised good things that await are evident. And for those who disobey, The threatened punishments have been made plain. I hope that you will make a better choice than the rich man. And may you progress toward the treasure that has been prepared for us in heaven by the grace of him who calls us all into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
creator, giver, overflowing with generosity and kindness to all you have made. We confess that everything we have received belongs to you. There is nothing that we have that we can truly call our own. And you've given us the awesome privilege and the heavy responsibility of being stewards of your grace in this world. Not only the words of eternal life, not only the things of the spirit, but also the things of the body. Lord, help us to make friends with unrighteous mammon. Not to foolishly hoard what you've blessed us with in order that we might bless others. Not to trust in mammon instead of in you. Lord, help us to live the life of faith and generosity, demonstrating that we trust you as our Father by receiving with open hands and releasing with open hands. Lord, make us into a church. Make each of us into a person who is a little Christ, who joyfully gives away everything because we know that we are receiving an eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.